Well, we're going to have a short Sunday school because of the singing programs and so forth, but uh, remember, we do have these materials available for you at full length. Now, this morning, this morning, I expect to get a big, loud, hearty amen after my next statement. Would you agree with me that all Christians are called to share their faith in Christ with others? Amen. Wasn't quite good enough. I said, I'll repeat the question. Would you agree all Christians are called to share their faith in Christ with others? Amen. With that in mind, then, let me ask you a question. You see, I would rather teach Sunday school than anything else I do. I just, I love Sunday school. But, but how many of you have attempted to share your faith in Christ with someone, and they have responded with this comment or something like it? Well, if you could just prove to me that God existed, then I would be willing to believe. Any ever had that? If you could just prove to me God existed, then I'd be willing to believe. Well, this morning, I want to show you in Sunday school that you can prove that God is alive. He is actively working throughout human history, that he can accomplish things, do things at any time he chooses to do so. In order to do that, what we're going to do is we're going to be taking a look at uh, creation science. Now, I'm a creation scientist, a bit of a Bible scholar as well. Would you please open up your Bibles and please turn to the convenience store verse of the Bible? Here. See, many of you are not turning. That's because you've not been with us before. See, if you had been with us before, you would know that the convenience store verse of the Bible is Genesis 7-11. I hear all that moaning and groaning. <clears throat> hey, listen, no teacher has taught until a student has learned. Will you ever forget the convenience store verse of the Bible? You see, it does work. And with that in mind, there's much we could talk about. Of course, I do a whole presentation on, on the flood of Noah. But the reason I'm taking to that verse is because I want you to take a look at the date. Yes, the flood started on the 17th day of the second month. Is that correct? Now, with that in mind, please tell me. Remember, this is a Sunday school. It's a responsive time. Uh, what time of the year was that? Second month, 17th day of the month. What time of the year was that? Oh, I'm getting seasonal answers. Winter. Okay, anybody else? Somebody says February. I, and I could understand why you would say that. It's not right, but I can understand why you would say it. <laughs> First of all, what I'm trying to get you to see is that's not our calendar. Nowhere in the Bible do you have the Julian or the Gregorian calendar that we use today. And in the book of Genesis, the only calendar you have is called the Jewish civil calendar. And the Jewish civil calendar begins with a feast or festival of the Old Testament called Rosh Hashanah. In Hebrew, Rosh means chief or head of. Rosh Hashanah means chief or head of the year. It's what you and I call New Year's Day. But it occurs in mid to late September, the way you and I count time. And so God created the earth and the universe in mid to late September as you and I would count time. Now, with that in mind, would you please turn to Genesis chapter 8, verse 4. Genesis chapter 8, verse 4. There it says that the ark of Noah landed not on Mount Ararat, but in the region, the area of Mount Ararat, on the 17th day of the seventh month. Is that correct? Remember, Mount Ararat is a 19,000-foot-high volcano. It's a bad place to land a wooden vessel. Apparently, some of you need to process that. Um, I've actually taught in Armenia. I've taught in Yerevan, and of course, the Armenians are very, very, well, proud 
of uh, Noah's Ark and so forth. Uh, and they tell the story that when Noah came down the mountain leading the animals, there was a little boy at the bottom going, oh, look, the parade is coming to town. And, uh, you know, here comes the circus. But uh, the fact of the matter is that the ark didn't land on top of the mountain. It landed in the area of the mountain. Now, with that in mind, the seventh month of the civil calendar is called the month of Nisan. It's like the car, but with one S, Okay. So Genesis 8, 4, the ark landed on the 17th day of the month of Nisan. Everybody with me so far here? That's two people, huh? How about the rest of you? Oh, good. Now, think with me. If the year begins in mid to late September, seven months later is going to be approximately late March or early April. Is that correct? And does anybody here know why there are 360 degrees in a circle? They, they just taught you in school there's 360 degrees in a circle. Is that, and you went, I know the answer to the quiz question. <laughs> wouldn't it be more logical if there was 100 or 400 degrees in a circle? Wouldn't that be a more logical way to base our, our 10 base math system? But why 360? But there's a very good reason, and it goes back to Genesis. You see, when God started the calendar, he started with 12 months. That's why we still have 12 months today. And every month of the Jewish calendar has exactly 30 days. You don't have 28, 29, 31. You have 30. And so uh, 12 times 30 is 360. And from creation 6,000 years ago until the time of the flood, 1,656 years later, the earth was rotating at 360 days in a year. That's why there's 360 degrees in a circle. As a matter of fact, if you would, please take a look at the last verse of chapter 7. You notice that there it says, The flood waters rose, prevailed, continued to rise for exactly 150 days. Is that correct? Now that's exactly five months, correct? Five times 30 is 150. And in the Bible, the number five is the number of grace. It represents grace. And so God sent a worldwide flood in judgment. The waters will rise for five months. Then in God's grace, he will stop the waters rising. And if you'll look in chapter 8, you'll notice the waters then go down for a total of 150 days. That's another five months. And so from the time that the water started to come out of the ground until the time that the water was off the land was exactly 10 months or exactly 300 days. Everybody with me so far? Excellent. Now, the number 10 in the Bible is the number of perfect spiritual completion. After all, think with me, why are there 10 commandments? It is the perfect number of commandments to complete God's law. Why were there 10 plagues in Egypt? It's the perfect number of plagues to accomplish God's purposes in Egypt. And the earth was covered with water from beginning to end for 10 months because it was the perfect amount of time for the earth to be covered with water. Now, it's also 300 days, is that correct? And, you know, you see 300 in the Bible in a variety of ways, but it's a number associated with complete spiritual victory. After all, please tell me, how many men did Gideon get down to? 300. And the earth was covered with the water for 300 days, and the ark was? Come on, folks, this was a gimme. It, 300 cubits long, Okay. <laughs> So you see 300 in a variety of uses, but it always deals with victory and spiritual conflict. 
Now, having established that the ark came to rest on the 17th day of Nisan, in the spring of the year, I want to introduce you to the second calendar. Many Christians fail to understand some great biblical truths because they fail to understand that there are two calendars in the Bible and not one. The first calendar begins at creation, begins in September, and goes for 12 months. But that's only for the first 2,500 years of human history. Would you please turn to the book of the Exodus, the book of the Exodus. We want to turn specifically to Exodus chapter 12. Now, let's think about this. Exodus chapter 12, this is the time of Moses. It's the time of Joshua. It's the time of let my people go, correct? And I want you to think about Moses for just a moment. Now, God raised up Moses for 40 years in the home of Pharaoh. Why did God arrange that? Well, think with me. I'm not a prophet. I'm a scientist. I'm a teacher. So I'm simply saying that this is a prophetic word for you from the Bible. But what does God want in the United States today? Why was Moses raised up in the house of Pharaoh for 40 years? Because God wanted to make sure Moses had the finest education money could buy. He was raised as a child of Pharaoh. He had the finest education money could buy. Moses was a highly intelligent, highly educated man. Now, he may have had a speech impediment. That's not the issue. But he was highly intelligent and highly educated. And what does God want here in the United States today? He wants you to raise up children and grandchildren, and maybe great-grandchildren, who get more than one degree, who can intellectually defend the faith. Hello? We must give an answer for the questions the world is asking. I will be showing you this week. The world is asking good questions. And if you don't have good answers to good questions, the world has no reason to pay any attention to you at all. That's why our five days together is so important this week. And Let's think about this. So Moses was raised in the house of Pharaoh for 40 years, and then God arranges the events so that he is sent out into the desert for 40 years to learn how to raise sheep and goats. Now, this was in order to prepare Moses to be a pastor. <laughs> then at the age of 80, God sends him back into Egypt with a message, it's time to let my people go, Correct. Now, let's think about this. What was the deal? Again, think about it as an economic arrangement for just a moment. What was the deal? You're going to let us go out in the desert for three days and worship God, correct? And then what? Okay, I'll, I'll pose the question again. This is a Sunday school lesson now. Um, they were to go out in the desert, worship God for three days, and then if they had been allowed to do that, what would they have been then duty-bound to do? Come back. It's a simple question, you know. Yeah, they would have come back, correct? The whole thing about the Exodus is we're going to go out in the desert for three days, worship God, and then we're going to come back. It's that simple. But, of course, Pharaoh will not allow this, and so God will send ten commandments to convince him. And God is a perfect general. Okay, now, folks, that was worth a big amen. Okay. I said God is a perfect general. And if you'll notice carefully, the ten plagues are not random at all. The ten plagues are in a specific order, and like any good general, what does he do? God works in concentric circles from the outside in, and first he demoralizes them. Then he takes away their 
food to the point of starvation, and eventually he annihilates their religion. Hello? And the plagues are in a specific order for that purpose. But, but, let's take a little look at Exodus chapter 12. After the nine plagues have occurred in the winter time, the tenth plague is going to occur. Please tell me, what was the tenth plague? Well, several of you said death of the firstborn, but that's not exactly correct. Let's see what it says in the Hebrew language. It says there, it is the death of the firstborn male that opens the womb. Did you hear that? It's the death of the firstborn male that opens the womb of all the people and all the livestock. Now, something that I'll be pointing out to you this week is quite simple. If you do not have a basic understanding of agriculture, you can't understand 90% of the Bible. The Bible is written in agrarian language to an agrarian people. And so if you don't have a basic understanding of agriculture, you really can't understand what's being said. But think with me for just a moment. You know, about agriculture, the death of the firstborn male, that opens the womb. So if a daughter is born first, it does not apply to her, her younger brothers. Are you with me? It has to be the male that opens the womb. But uh, think with me. Uh, don't we have just one bowl for many ladies? Excuse me? And what about men in the Old Testament? Didn't men often have more than one wife in the Old Testament? Two people said yes. <laughs> Apparently you haven't read the Old Testament lately. Well, think with me. Um, Ramesses II was not the pharaoh of Moses, but Ramesses II had 52 sons. Do you really think he had only one wife? <laughs> and, of course, he had daughters, too. He had 106 children. Now, you think you got problems. Hello? Come on, a little sympathy here. We've actually found a tomb where all 52 of his sons were buried. Now, with that in mind, let's think about this. The carnage in Egypt was vastly worse than you have ever contemplated. The firstborn male of all the people and all the livestock, and Pharaoh lost more than one child that night. Hello? Now, in going to Exodus chapter 12, notice verse 1 and 2. God institutes a second calendar. It's a calendar for the purpose of religious events. And again, many Christians fail to understand great biblical truths, not because they're mysteries, but because they fail to understand there are two calendars and not one. And this applies to our New Testament studies as well as our Old Testament. But please notice, God says, I want you to make this month the first month of a brand new calendar, a calendar for the purpose of religious events. And when God says, I want you to make this month the first month of a brand new calendar, he's talking about the month of Nisan. And so what happens 2,500 years after creation? God takes the seventh month, the month of Nisan. He makes it the first month of a brand new calendar of 12 months. And so there's two calendars exactly six months apart. How are we doing so far? Everybody with me? Now, if you notice, start to look at verses 3, 4, 5, 6. On the 10th day of the month of Nisan, God tells the Jews that they are to select one lamb for each household. I, I know many of you are familiar with the story and its basics, but 
On the 10th, they are to select a lamb. On the 14th day of Nisan, they are to slay the lamb at exactly 3 p.m. in the afternoon on the 14th day of Nisan. Now, you might have a, a reading that says between the evenings, but remember that words change meaning over time. Today that means afternoons. And so the lamb is to be slain between the afternoons. The Jewish day is divided into four pieces, early, late morning, early, late afternoon. And the lamb is to be slain at 3 p.m. Everybody with me so far? Now, remember, I know all of you, uh, about the death angel coming into town soon, right? So let's think about this. They were to slay the lamb at exactly 3 p.m. on the 14th. They were then to apply the blood to the doorposts and to the lentil, correct? Everybody here is familiar with that. But first of all, I don't know about you, but I think they're in a hurry. How about you? Come, come on, folks. The death angel is coming by in about three hours. I think they're in a hurry. How about you? So they're dealing with blood, not paint. It's going to coagulate quickly. They're using an ancient form of paintbrush called a hyssop plant. And I don't know about you, but I don't think they're trying to stay in between the lines. So I think they kind of go splat, splat, splat. Does that seem reasonable? But please tell me, when they go splat on the lentil, isn't there going to be a moment in time when some of that blood is going to drip on the threshold? And you do want blood on the threshold, is that correct? What do you mean, no? Do you want the death angel sliding in under the door? Come on, folks, this is called a bad idea. Hello? What I want you to see in Egypt, the blood was here, 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 and here. Hello? Yes, in Egypt, the blood was here, 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 and. See, you guys are, you, you, you just want to do every one of them, don't you? Uh, that's good. That's good. Uh, well, I mentioned Animal Planet uh, or Hollywood. It, it, it amazes me that, that Christians will see Hollywood-made movies that have Jews in them, and then they think they learn something about Judaism. You know, they just, it amazes me. Um, well, for instance, um, there's a, a movie uh, made from a Broadway musical, which I can actually recommend. It's called Fiddler on the Roof. Historically correct, but fictional story, but historically correct. Um, but in that movie, there's a very nice little song that says, Sunrise, Sunset. And it is a nice little song. But for that reason, many people believe the Jewish day begins at sunset. But that is not true. The Jewish day does not begin at sunset. It goes back to Genesis. Do you remember in Genesis it says the day starts in darkness? Is that correct? When you all have read Genesis, right? And the day starts in darkness, but it ends in light. Had you ever thought the rotation of the earth actually teaches a biblical truth? Well, think about it. When you got here, we all start in darkness. But if we come to know him, we will end in light. Is that correct? And even the rotation of the earth teaches a biblical truth. Hello? But it must be absolutely dark. And therefore, the Jewish day does not begin until 90 minutes after sunset. Because it cannot be twilight. There can be no light coming over the horizon. It must be absolutely dark. And so it's 90 minutes after sunset. And that's when you change the date on the calendar. You know, you and I, we're used to changing the date at midnight. 
But that's not the way you do it in Judaism. In Judaism, you change the date in the early evening, 19 minutes after sunset. The Bible sometimes refers to it as moonrise, but of course that can vary, but it's 90 minutes after sunset. Are you with me? So I'm going to ask you, remember this is a Sunday school, help me to count off here. So on the first day of the month of Nisan, God creates the second calendar. On the 10th day, he says, I want you to select a lamb, one for each household. On the 14th, they will slay the lamb at exactly 3 p.m., applying the blood to the doorpost, the lentil, and the threshold, correct? But that evening, sealed behind the door with the blood on all four sides, well, 90 minutes after sunset, the date changes, and if it was the 14th, now it becomes the, come on, everybody all together, come on now, becomes the 15th. And that night they're going to eat the lamb, and about midnight on the 15th, Pharaoh is going to surrender. I surrender. You can go. Is that right? And the Jews were taught to, uh, well, to eat the Passover with their shoes on ready to go. And after they are released, they will start to walk southeast in the middle of the night. About 6 a.m. on the 15th day of Nisan, men will be sent over to a town in your Bible. It was the 15th, so now it's going to become the 16th. They rest, they get up, they walk the next day, which is the 16th. That evening they stop, they make camp, and the date changes, it becomes the 17th. Only on the 17th day of Nisan, they have their backs to the Red Sea, and Pharaoh will chase after them. It's the night of the 17th day of Nisan that God will perform the miracle of the parting of the Red Sea. Now, I had mentioned never, ever get your education from Hollywood. How many of you have seen a Hollywood-made movie with the parting of the Red Sea? Come on, Charlton Heston? For the younger people here, Prince of Egypt? Yeah. You ever notice in those Hollywood-made movies, they show you this little slip in the Red Sea, you know? Hello? Come on, you've seen that, right? What a joke. What a joke. I've been looking around the room, kind of trying to estimate, I think, I think, every human being in this room could do the math. To get one and a half to four million people through that hole in roughly four hours. And remember, that's all they had, was about four hours. The hole in the Red Sea had to be at least five miles wide. Yeah, it had to be a minimum of five miles wide. When God parted the Red Sea, he kind of like parted the Red Sea. Hello? Yeah. And that night, they're going to go down below the waters, across and up onto the Sinai Peninsula. In Corinthians, we are told the nation of Israel was baptized by walking through the waters of the Red Sea. Egypt. Think with me. They were slaves in the population, but you may have forgotten. Remember a guy named Joseph? Oh, come on, folks, you remember a guy named Joseph, right? Okay. Remember, because of the work of Joseph, what God had sent him into Egypt to do, well, remember he interpreted the dream. There's going to be seven good years, seven lean years. Is that right? And he went to Pharaoh with that information. And so what happened? During the seven good years, they bought grain. It was cheap. Now, Pharaoh was a really nasty guy, but he was a good capitalist. Well, you know he was because he had a Jewish storekeeper. <laughs> but what happened during the seven lean years? Well, in the seven lean years, 
they sold the grain back at a high price. You see, you buy it cheap, you sell hello. Just good capitalism. But when you read the story, what happened? Well, to buy the grain in the seven bad years, the people first gave all their money. Then they gave their livestock and their property. And finally, what was the last thing? We have nothing to sell you but ourselves. And the nation sold themselves to Pharaoh for food. At the time of the Exodus, every human being in Egypt, with the exception of Pharaoh's personal family and the Egyptian priesthood, personally belonged to Pharaoh. The Jews are simply slaves within the population, and they all belong to Pharaoh. So why were the Jews legally free? Well, please tell me. Remember that the word Pharaoh uh, is also the same word in Latin we use for Caesar or king. When a king dies, who inherits his property? Well, wait a minute. Which, which son? Oh, the crown prince, the oldest, the firstborn, is that correct? But what just happened to him? Oh, he had just died, is that correct? And Pharaoh chased after them after only two days when he said you can go for three. And Pharaoh was in breach of contract. Why were the Jews legally free to leave Egypt? Because Pharaoh had broken his own contract and the one that could inherit them had perished. Hello? Now, Notice, if you will, that is exactly the same day of the Jewish calendar that the, when you think of a coffin, don't you normally think of death inside and life outside? Well, folks, that is the way you do it at home, right? Hello? But think about the opposite logic which God used. You know, God often uses opposite logic the way you and I would do things. At the time of the flood, what did he do? He took the seeds of life, placed them inside the coffin, but he condemned the world outside to death. Is that correct? Oh. And when the coffin came to rest, they were resurrected out of the coffin into a new world. And so we see the theme here because the, the ark was baptized, the people in 315, 419, Joshua 5, verses 10, 11. And it even tells us in Joshua 419, the river was flooded in the spring of the year. But in, but in Joshua 315, it says it's the 10th day of the month of Nisan. Is that correct? Think with me. It's been exactly 40 years to the day since they selected the lamb in Egypt, and they're going to go through the Jordan River. And, and how did they do that? Well, Joshua tells the priests to pick up the Ark of the Covenant and walk into the river. Is that correct? But they were not looking at a stream, a rill, a brook, a creek. They were looking at a flooded, raging torrent. Are you with me? And in the natural, they said, if we walk into that, we are gone. Hello? But at the word of God, given through the man of God to the people of God, they took a step of faith. Is that correct? And they walked into the river. And once they had taken that step of faith, God performed a miniature version miracle of what he had done at the Red Sea. And they went across on dry land. Now, if you take a look at Joshua chapter 5, verses 10, 11, 12, it says they but notice what it says in Joshua chapter 5. It says, on the day after they ate the lamb, that's the last day that God is going to provide manna. So he spends two days weaning them off of manna. He starts on the night of the Passover. But let's think about this. According to the law of Moses, the lamb must be slain at 3 p.m. on the 14th. Is that correct? So they go through the river on the 10th. 
They camp for three days of purification on the 11th, 12th, and 13th. On the 14th, they will slay the lamb at exactly 3 p.m. That evening, the date changes. It becomes the 15th, and they will eat the lamb. God starts to wean them off of manna. But on the 16th, it says on the day after they ate the lamb, so that makes it the 16th. No, no, come on. The day after they ate the lamb makes it the 16th. That's the last day God provided manna. And the day after that, they ate only of the first fruits of the promised land, which means that they ate of the first fruits of the promised land on the 17th. If you go to Leviticus chapter 23, all seven major feasts are listed in one chapter only of the Bible, Leviticus 23. It says there that the 17th day of Nisan is to be called the Feast of First Fruits. It is the third major feast of the Old Testament. But First Fruits always speaks of resurrection. Now, this is the one we don't have time for me to, to give you, but I will prove. You can go to John chapter 12. Jesus was selected on Sunday, the 10th day of Nisan, the day you select the Lamb. He was crucified on the 14th, the day you slay the lamb, and he died at 3 p.m. And he arose on the 17th, a Sunday that year. Now, that means the ark came to rest. They walked through the Red Sea. They ate of the first fruits of the promised land, and Christ rose from the dead on exactly the same day of the calendar spread out over 2,500 years of human history. Anybody here see the hand of God at work? Thank you very much. See you the next hour. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.